All right, y'all, what's going on? We're back with Crypto Casuals. No long-winded intro, nothing like that. Uh, all we ask for is the membership fee. If you think we do a good job, if you like the content here, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. Today's episode will be a little bit like this. So we have probably 15 topics to discuss. Uh, I know I have a few, my, my, my friend here has a few, and Cage, hopefully he'll be joining us, uh, has a few as well. Uh, chain runners, on-chain projects, uh, feudals is another one, how you prop up a market, what you look for when, you take, when you're buying NFTs. Uh, there was a 900 ETH offer for a CryptoPunk that was rejected. But point is, we're going to bounce all over the place. We're going to screen share. It's going to be incredibly, incredibly casual uh, as we're going through and navigating this NFT journey. It's a fucking wild ride. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, you you second guess yourself a lot. You you question what it is you truly know, uh, what it is you don't know. We talk about you know these NFTs as blue chips, but then we question that. You know how can they really be blue chips if they've only been around uh, for less than a you know it takes to incubate a baby? So million things to talk about. I'll pass it to you real quick because you you sent through this whole thing, bro. Uh, I know you go by Shadowy Coder, but I'll call you Brove. You know, Constitution DAO, on-chain NFT. What do you look for in an NFT? Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with feudals? Anything I talked about interests you? Let's just quickly start with the Constitution DAO because we can get that one out of the way. And that happened the, chronologically the most early, uh, the first in this week. Um, so in case anyone hasn't heard, the Constitution DAO was... Um, Basically, it was a DAO that was set up. It was a huge collection of public money, all in Ethereum. And this group of 17,000 crypto people just collected money together to try and buy the Constitution the other day. This happened like five or six or seven days ago. And uh, they raised $42 million in less than a week. And they tried to buy the Constitution. It was on, what was it, Sotheby's? Well, they, well, they, raised, they raised it in ETH, right? They raised and it in ETH. And the price of ETH changed which affected their buying power and didn't allow them to actually win, be the winning bidder for the constitution. Pretty crazy. That, that same day, because I was watching the action, I was watching the auctions that went live. Uh, and then I was looking at the charts for ETH and it went down 10% that day. So what, however much ETH they had, they lost $4 million that day and they could have bidded it up a little bit higher and they could have won it maybe with those extra 10%. But yeah, they ended up losing it. They ended up losing it to a guy named Ken Griffin. Uh, so he's some multi-billion dollar, I guess, hedge fund manager who is going to take care of the Constitution. So so that's good. Um, and by the way, anyone who's confused, there are 12 or 13 copies of the Constitution. So this isn't the one. Um, there's multiple, but there's only two that are in private hands. So this is this is a big moment because not often do these things get, get traded and bought. And it, it almost... It almost did something really cool. It almost just, this constitution almost came back into the hands of the public, into the DAO, wherever we bought into a share of it, gets gets to decide what, how it gets taken care of, where it gets shown, what happens to it. So that would have been really cool to see. But even though that didn't happen, it was really impressive to see the crypto community come together and, and almost create a DAO to buy this thing. Bro, do you know about Rally, like fractional? Yeah, a little bit about fractionalization. What is it really? So it's the same premise just done differently, right? The results the same, how they do it is different. So fractional, if you guys don't know, we actually on our other show have a partnership with Collectible, 
who buys really high-end cards or rather better way to put it finds a seller of really high-end cards in this case we'll use rally as an example rally would find the previous owner of the constitution and say hey we can fractionalize it for you and offer it to the general public where the general public let's say the constitution is valued at 10 million dollars right they could cut it into shares and say every share is worth a hundred dollars and sell it to the general public which is kind of what a DAO does, right? And then the general public owns a piece of the constitution. In this case, the DAO owns a piece of the constitution. So one's done through crypto, one's done through fractionalization, but kind of the results the same now. There's a little bit of an added twist if you're into a DAO, it's that like it's a decentralized autonomous organization. So you have voting rights in your DAO. So you know if you owned a piece of that Porsche or a piece of that, you know, Tatis card or whatever it was. You don't get to choose really what happens to that card. Whoever actually owns it could buy you right back out if they wanted to. Um, but I mean, is that true or is that not true? I think that's yeah. true. But anyway, with the with the DAO, uh, you can't. Well, with the DAO, you have an extra benefit of being able to vote on what happens in that community. How it would work is someone would come in and offer to buy out the constitution, but they'd have to buy it at a premium, and then the shareholders, like they would typically vote and say yes, yeah, or nay. So they do get they do get a vote as well. Oh, they do get a vote. Okay, they do get a vote. But but it's we don't know all the possibilities of what a DAO offers too, right? We don't know how they operate. They're so they're so new. Um, bro, did you see this? Nine hundred ETH for a CryptoPunk. That's a lot. That's a lot of dollars. I um I'm in a weird mood recently. <clears throat> I am very contrarian in nature. He even gets mad at me. He always says I look for you know, conspiracy theories, or are you just arguing for arguing sake? A bit, you're a bit of a drama queen with that. Uh, <laughs> but you're, you're a bit of a controversial. So That's not even a word. And NFTs and all of this crazy stuff going on. I'm sitting here thinking like, man, I want to go invest in gold. Talk me out of it. Um, so I was listening to, I don't know if I can, uh, but I was listening to a recent podcast that I liked and it was talking about how, um, just because things are moving so rapidly and, and because all of these investments are so liquid and these coins are so easily movable and things that my interpretation of it meant that lots of stuff that's happening on the blockchain is going to be really volatile and their downs are going to be very fast. So these bubbles are going to pop way sooner than we're used to seeing them pop, um, which is a scary place to be. And so that's a good reason for being in gold. I guess when people start losing too many of these bets too fast and then they start thinking everything's a rug pull, they're going to go to some safer asset. Um, and maybe it won't be the dollar because we've been printing so much of it right now. Maybe it will be gold. Why, why have people not been more pissed off with rug pulls, right? Like we've seen, I mean, there's rug pulls every single day, but is it because there's so much money in the system that like, even if you're rug pulled like 10 times, as long as you hit one chain runner, you're sitting in like 20K in profit, 50K in profit. Is rug that pulls and scams, loads of scams too. Dude, you've um, been rug pulled and scammed like on six projects, twice on raccoons. <laughs> on raccoons, that's right. And now about to be a third time when they try and bring it back. Um, but no, I'm not gonna buy back in. I, I, I think you can make a good point for gold. I wanna hear what your point is. Why, why would you invest in gold instead of, instead of crypto right now? A lot of crypto is narrative driven, right? Like 
that's just a fact. A lot of crypto is narrative driven, but to the point of like, they're putting the horse in front of the cart. So like I saw today, there were, there's metaverse real estate agents, right? And it makes sense in principle. If there are, you know, buildings in real world and real estate agents to help you broker deals, sales, rents, whatever, there should be the same thing in the digital world. But none of that infrastructure is even built. <laughs> and we overestimate how quick it could take to build infrastructure in the metaverse. Like right now, the extent of it is the sandlot, which costs $12,000, and you buy a pixel that's metaphorically a piece of land, and you want to buy it like near CryptoPunks or near apes. And the logic is there, the utility and the application isn't. So like, I'm like, okay, I hear what you guys are saying. And guys, you need to understand my history a little bit here is I've, I've been in crypto since 2013 from like the business side. Uh, I should have just put my, my paycheck into Bitcoin and I would have been like living in Tulum or something like that right now. But uh, I, on the KYCAML side, and like I've seen this whole industry evolve and the place it is now, I could have never imagined it would have been there eight years from now. But it also takes a long time and it takes a longer time than people realize. And specifically, it takes a it takes longer. And when people are over leveraged, which is what I'm seeing in this world, it's it's a that's a very dangerous combination because they can't ride out. It's like, hey, I want to invest in University City. I believe in 15 years, it's going to be a prosperous neighborhood. But if I ever need to sell the house there, I'm putting all my money in. And if I, if I ever need to sell the house, I might have to sell it for a loss. Mm -hmm. If you don't have an emergency fund. So there's a lot of things we could go there. Um, oh, no, you're right. I remember all of them. But the first one, you, you said something that validated what I said earlier. It's like, it's this land, this land is coming up and it's so easy to create new land. Like all these projects are being created so fast. Everything is changing so fast that like these kinds of investments are going to boom and bust way quicker than traditional land investments will. So just be ready to exit quicker than you expect um, compared to the, the normal tech world. So that was one thing. Then there was one other thing uh, that I'm not going to be able to remember right now. So let's move on. What else you got? What else do I got? <sighs> Tokens. So like I'm invested in IMX, the token. You were talking about immutable apes. Explain to me how they're related, right? Did you know anything about immutable apes? We're learning about it right now. Um, oh, this will be must this save that for next week because I know you don't yeah, like about things that you're not prepared for. Save it for next week. I minted two. I'll be able to see him by next week um, because the whole infrastructure hasn't. I mean, the infrastructure is there. The team just hasn't fully deployed it yet. So, we'll so this week, I'll talk about the th most pressing thing. So this weekend was probably the, my most interesting weekend in the NFT world, right? So like, we've been a part of NFTs. So January, I was in Top Shot. Then I sold out of Top Shot and kind of chilled for three, four months for June, July, and August. And it was more of like card world then. We went to Chicago for national. And it was probably that was probably the best time to buy NFTs, right? Crypto punks, apes, all that stuff was happening during the summer. And I wasn't involved. Then right around September, we started buying projects like Qubits, My Little Orphan. Uh, I bought a few raccoons. I, I bought fatalities, all of these like kind of like 
Twitter projects. That's what that's what I'll call them. Like Archick was into them and uh, Punk like 4432 or whatever that guy's Twitter is. All these guys were into it. I was I wasn't sure what I was kind of like learning the ropes, and I would I, I would say I put it in like one ETH, two ETH, like nothing crazy. But this weekend was my biggest weekend. We invested in chain runners and Cage, who might join, might not. It's Thanksgiving, guys. So shout out to all you guys in America listening. Happy Thanksgiving. He said, look at the volume on this guy, right? Was that the initial text, bro? He was like, look at yeah. the volume spike. And the price was 0.11. I think this was like Saturday morning. Yeah, something like that. Yep. That Saturday morning. It was, the floor was 0.11. And it's like, look at the volume. And it's funny, like it started to shoot up, right? It went from 0.11 to 0.2. And it was moving so fast that like even the floor you couldn't buy, it like changed from buy to offer. And mm -hmm. it's funny, like, you know, they say don't chase because you don't know what the top is. Well, little did we know that 0.2 was not even close to the top. So, you know, I implemented the strategy. I'm curious what you guys think. So I bought a few at 0.2 and immediately relisted them at 0.44. Okay. That's a big jump. Like it, it's funny how this seems, but like that's a, that's, you double your money like that, right? They sold almost within like two hours. And then I, I took it and I, you know, the floor goes up and down. I rebought. I rebought some near the floor, again, which the floor is like 0.33. And I also bought a few kind of more premium ones, 0 0.55, 0 0.6. Got those. The floor kept climbing. It went to one ETH. And overnight, I listed the premium one that I got for 0.55 for 2.5 ETH. And that one got bought. And this project's been running and running and running and running. And one of the things that Brof and I did was that saturday night we probably went to bed at like 3 a.m right yeah we were checking wallets we were looking you know we went to etherscan and we went to see in order you you could go what are the directions so people could do this at home to see who I, is holding what i can do it live if you want everyone to see yep. <laughs> all right so if you pick your project let me share with everybody All right, so you, you pick your project. If you don't know the token code, the best way to find it is to go find the contract. So I'm going to use chain runners because that's what we're talking about. Interestingly, the floor is at 1.3 now. So just pick into any NFT, scroll down to details where you can find the contract address. Click it, it'll take you to Etherscan. And, and here's where we can see loads of intel about what's going on with the project. So don't, don't ignore Etherscan just because it looks old and ugly and clunky. There's actually a lot here. So on the right hand side check out token old. tracker what's up andrew you think it looks old yeah it looks like uh to me it looks like craigslist it's just like they didn't put any money into developing it to nice anything just like very basic but no it works so token trackers here click on the token for this case it'll say chain runners it'll take you to a new page and here we can see there's ten thousand tokens that exist there's two thousand nine hundred holders uh, there have been a total of 18,000 transfers, but what we're looking for right now is this holders button. Proof. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a cool number that we haven't thought about, but I think it's a big deal. The holders and specifically the transfers, because yeah. that's like that does show health, right? How many times an asset turns over? I, I think there's something there. So we're trying to figure out like what are indicators for strength of a project. And one thing that Rof and I are floating around is the holders to the max supply ratio, right? Like what lions, for example, are 5,000 about 4,800 to 10,000. 
most projects are in that, you know, one to two or two to one, depends how you do the ratio. This yeah. one's the first one that was most weekend, it was 2.5, you know, there was 2,500 holders. Yeah, hold on real quick, because I want to go back to that. How, the metrics you use to choose a project is our next topic. Let me real quick cool. finish finish walking people through this, though. So once you see the holders, this is the rank of everyone who holds it. And this is where you can see that, for example, noodlehamsfamilyoffice.eth owns 215 of them. Zoink owns 199. You're going to see Zoink a lot. His name's up here all the time if you're looking for high rollers. Josh Buckley's always up here as well, too. So you'll start to recognize a bunch of these names. And you'll start to get a feel that if these guys are in the projects and they're high up, that you know maybe it's worth looking at. Because these guys, these guys can move markets. So that's the value of finding this Why? page. But that's that's the research we did. So that's they don't the know these guys. They don't know Zoink or Sarah Guo or Josh yep. Buckley. But what we did was... Uh, we went to the biggest holders of this project and went into their wallets one by one by one to see what other projects are they holding. Lo and behold, most of these people, and I probably did like 50 different wallets, own CryptoPunks, mm -hmm. own Apes, uh, own Art Blocks. They own the, the, the premium projects, the cream of the crop. And that made me, that gave me peace of mind. That even if this was a pump and dump, and we use that word way too much in this world, that it wouldn't be an overnight pump, right? Yep. And we bought in and we 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 traded the volatility of this project all the way up to I mean two ETH, two and a half ETH. Two, two and a half ETH. It got as high as 2.9 ETH. But yeah, I mean you see his profile picture, uh, uh a crypto pump. Yeah, a crypto pump for Josh Buckley. And then here's where you can also see what he's also bought into. So Feudals is going to come up later in our conversation as well. But this this is kind of where we get some of our information is, um, for other projects to be considering where these high rollers are putting their money. But what do you Andrew, want to get Feudals? What are you interested about with Feudals? Let's um all right, so so I'll talk about Feudals. Um I can stop sharing my screen. So I've just been noticing a trend lately, or in general, I've seen, I think that the, the, the big market movers, you know, they try and find a new niche in the NFT market, and then they keep moving there first. They try and find something either maybe it's exciting for them, or they try and get there first because it's low prices. I don't know what it is. Each time they find a different niche. And this niche, that I think that they're moving into now is entirely on-chain NFTs. And the reason I say that is because well, you just saw Feudals there. Feudals is entirely on chain NFT. Crypto or Chain Runners is entirely on chain. And then also the first one that I really, really noticed was the Wolf game. And that's entirely on chain. And there's there's more than a couple other more. But these NFTs, like even the PFP is stored on chain. It's not metadata stored on a website. So, so it just, and it makes sense. Like this is where the purists want to hang out, like the real crypto people. They want to hang out where everything is on chain. So that's a trend I've been seeing. Why, why does own chain matter? It's well, so what it means on chain is rare. That's kind of why it matters. On chain is rare because it's more expensive. It's more expensive because if you're storing a whole picture on chain, that means you're storing more memory on chain and memory costs money. So if you're trying to upload a contract for 10,000 PFPs on chain, it's going to cost way more than off chain. That's why, it, that's why it, that's what it means, and then why it matters is because it, it's well, it's far rarer to see. So, so this is where it gets really good, guys. I'll read you guys a little bit of this. Um, 
and this is fun. So in the comments, you know, we're not going to be able to get to everything in the comments. Let us know, you know, what questions you might still have. Um, but this is interesting. So for the whole collection is pushing the, uh, the this collection is pushing the whole idea of NFTs forward. For one thing, they're actually on chain and decentralized, unlike so many projects that seem web three-ish, but structurally still look like 2.0. These were developed by a few developers behind Blipmap, another super ambitious NFT project that exists in the entire sci-fi universe. Evan Denningen, Dennington, who goes by mid and started the project, compared it to buying a lightsaber at Disney World. You're ultimately buying a piece of plastic, he said on Clubhouse, but it's imbued with so much energy and emotion, you're creating the memorable experience around this asset. I don't know, man. That's a big way to say it, but yeah. yeah. Here's Sarah Guo. Remember we saw that wallet? Recognize that name. Yep, from Greylock. So I think what was attractive to me with this project was that it was it was like a, it, it was a Silicon Valley project. It was a Bay Area project where all of these guys who were probably into crypto pretty early on, who may have gotten into CryptoPunks or at least knew about CryptoPunks, felt that this was the next CryptoPunk. They even put that in the article, which I thought was a bit audacious. Uh, but hey, you shoot, you score, right? Yeah, I've heard a few friends say that as well. Um, two quick things, because I want to go into what you were talking about, metrics you use to decide which projects to jump into. Two quick things. Um, one, that blip map that Andrew was just showing on that. Um, consider that one, because if you own a blip map or if you own a blip not, it doesn't just get you the NFT, it gets you access to a community that talks about all these things. and. It's not really a pump community, but they are the first people who decide where the market moves. So if you're in those communities, you're going to know important things. Um, and then, well, let's just move on to how do you choose which projects to get invested in? Like we started really heavily making those decisions when we saw chain runners and we saw whose wallets were owning the chain runners. Um, and then it started at making me ask a few more questions, like. How many transfers have been made in the last 24 hours and who's owning, owning the wallets? And then another interesting one is what is the ratio of NFTs to holders? And then how many wallets contain the top 10% of those? No, so those are a couple of things. I just want to share my screen again real quick or just some of the data that I've been taking. And Andrew, I'm gonna need your help. I know how I look for. I know what I look for. I look for pump and dumps, or billion dumps. So this is all a short-term game for you. Yeah, but you know, there's no, there's no long-term investing here. Do you own any NFTs that you're looking to hold for a long time? Here's what makes me special, <laughs> and not in a good way. Special. <laughs> I don't do it with cards either, bro. There's no card I've ever held over a year. I, I don't have it. I'm not a like. I want to be a collector. Uh, and I'm trying to kind of like learn how to be, but I am very uh, short term, like see arbitrage opportunities in the market and flip. Yeah. That's been my whole life. I think I want to change it. Like I want to buy some Kobe autos. I was telling you about memorabilia and stuff like that. But dude, it, it's always been a short game for me. Always. Okay. So let's, maybe we talk about how to identify a pump and dump or maybe not a pump and dump, but just like a, a short cycle you know, runner. Sure. We can start here because maybe you can make some sense of this that I quite can't. Um, so this is my Excel sheet. I've been keeping track of a bunch of different projects I'm interested in. For example, chain runners, 
CryptoPunks, CryptoDemons is another almost on-chain one. Um, on-chain Monkeys, Lazy Lions, Bee Friends, Board Ape Yacht Club, Cool Cats, Cool Dogs, Cryptodes. So I, I went to find all this data and I pulled it all into here. So what it is, it's the population of each, uh, each NFT project, how many owners there are, calculates the ratio. And then I was, I was curious about how many wallets it took to reach the top, um, to, I guess, how do you say this? To collect 10% of the total population. So in this case, the top seven wallets hold a thousand chain runners. The top okay, 19 wallets hold 2,000 chain runners. And I'm trying to find some, you know, correlation. Do we look for ratios that are high? Do we look for ratios that are really low? Um, do we want, like, my biggest question is, do we want to see a few wallets holding most of the NFTs or do we want to see lots of wallets, only a few NFTs? I don't know how to choose. I would say the first thing I look for, so this is, this is relevant. I think once you've located a project, like, I think this is, I think this is a secondary step. The first thing it was what cage sent us. He sent us a screenshot of the highest volume movers in the last 24 hours, seven days and 30 days. And it goes back to um, the Tim Sykes course, bro, if I took at the beginning of the year and it was the same exact process. So if you guys don't know, Tim Sykes is a penny trader on the stock market and he creates watch lists for highest movers and under the premise that if it's run before, it has run again. It's kind of like that whole inertia thing. It's, it's really interesting. Like, uh, And if it hasn't run before, more than likely it won't run. So the first step is uh, creating a watch list of highest volume movers. And then what made chain runners, I think, simple to spot is not only do they have a volume spike, they also had massive uh, news. And when I say news, it's not like New York Times writing about it. It's Twitter news. It's earned media. It's small publications with followers. They also had media behind it, which was pushing it out to the masses. And you created the snowball effect. And what made me feel more confident that it wouldn't be, you know, a pump and dump over you know two days but maybe a pump over two months is the fact that the people behind it had a huge reputation so they didn't want to burn those reputations quickly as you can tell guys i'm very qualitative in my uh in my not very quantitative so for reference the uh the uh chain runners they you know peaked and i don't know they definitely reached their within three days. And then over the last day, they've just been falling. So that's the kind of time scale we're talking about right now. How much, how much of uh, the open sea glitch or the open sea being down for, you know, what felt like 12 hours, basically during the entire trading day on Monday, how much did that have an effect? Or was that yesterday? Yesterday, uh, Tuesday. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was actually down that long. Uh, all I had to do was restart my computer, refresh my browser and it worked again. So no, it, no, it, it may have been for like eight hours. I don't know. I promise. All right. <laughs> you were probably on it watching your chain runners. I was watching them. I was out of them, but I like to watch how things move. Yeah, I'm going to keep watching chain runners to see how they perform. Because So I didn't see any pumping with chain runners. Did you on Twitter? There was no initial text message from Gary. There was a uh, Twitter post from Gary or AJ or anybody. It seemed like that one happened really organically. 
Gary's not the only pump in the world. And I would Did argue you see other pumps? I would argue Gary isn't a pumper because how you know a pump and dump is a pump and then volume dries out over time. If you look at Gary's projects, they've all helped. Like World of Women was a Gary project and that's helped. Gary is the billionaire play chart where he gives credibility to a project. I think you. I think people need to realize what the word pump really means. Uh, a pump doesn't mean that it's fake or it's a lie or anything. A pump is news to, that reaches a, a sizable audience in the in a pr precise demographic. In this case, Twitter is where NFT buyers are, right? That encourages buyers to buy into a project. Chain runners are the next crypto punks. That's a, I mean, dude, that's like, if, if a big media publication puts that out and most of their audience is NFT buyers and people who buy into crypto and Ethereum, that's going to cause a huge volume spike. Yeah. All right. So to wrap this up real quick for everybody, what is our, what is our strategy for picking new projects? First, watching the rarity tools or the open sea volume changes. And then second, going into those projects, seeing who the biggest holders are. Remember how we showed you your scan? See who the biggest holders are, see what kind of distribution there is, if there's big names in it, um, and then see what other projects they're buying as well, just to see if you know you might get another hint there. But those so, seem to be our first two best metrics so far. Yep. So look, guys, you go OpenSea, you click on stats, you click on activity. Go and right then you can reorder. You can reorder this list by uh, 24 hours, by seven days and things. Then you go rankings. This is where you see the uh, the, the project. So you know, Sandbox, that's land, which is interesting. Um, kind of different than everyone else. Here is Wolf Game, which we didn't really talk about, but it's really interesting project because it's such a small, <laughs> um, such a small ownership, but there's a lot that's of good. items and there's a lot of activity, which the floor price is actually down a lot because these people stake. And if you guys want to do a little research, there's this token, like I said, that I'm invested in Brofiz as well, called IMX. And Brofiz, do you, do you know this better than I? Can you can you explain it? Or is like conceptually, it's just it allows for staking uh, much cheaper. It's a layer two token that allows for staking at a much cheaper rate than it would if you were using Ethereum because gas fees are very high on Ethereum. That's a good start. We'll get deeper into it next time for sure. Wolf Game, yeah, just to clear, clarify that, Wolf Game only has 283 owners. That's confusing. That's because most of the owners have sent their their NFTs to the contracts. And so the contract is staking them. And there's actually way, probably like, I don't know, at least 3,000 owners, 2,000. So, so, and then we play around with this. Like, uh, you could go, you know, categories are always a good one. So, like, I'll give you an example. In January of this year, uh, weed stocks are running in the stock market, right? And you would start looking for other weed stocks because if one ran, there's potential that another one might have. So like my, my co-host obviously really intelligently said was on-chain NFTs are running. So can you create a category where you could uh, filter by that? I think that's relevant. You could also filter by chains and you could filter by, you know, 24 hours, seven days, 30 days. And you and then you just do, you know, what I call hand-to-hand -hand combat. You click into every project. You like feudals, bro. If you want to talk a little bit about this, you click on activity. Another metric or a lot of another data point I look for is look at that volume spike. That's beautiful. 
is how much above the floor are people buying? That's also incredibly, incredibly relevant because it shows, remember this price isn't, doesn't encapsulate everything, right? So you want to know, are people buying right at the floor or are people willing to pay up to 10, 20 ETH? Which ironically guys, when chain runners were running and anytime the market kind of, you know, hit a pause or, you know, kind of stagnated, the people that we showed you, Mr. Joshua Buckley, would come in and he would buy uh, the NFTs for 40, like the very rare ones. So I always look for what sales are significantly above the floor. And then I go and click into that wallet and see, hmm, what might be the motive of this person buying it? So, but if you, dude, bro, if your feudals are running. I know, I feel a little silly. So I, I identified this pattern and then didn't follow it. I used this one just as like a, I just watched it instead of actually acting. I don't own any feudals. Uh, I wish I did. So the floor price is 1.4. I've been watching it for the past four days. Um, so Sunday it was 0.2. It's ironic, guys. I live with this guy. And he didn't tell me once about this project until last night. Past my bedtime. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Dude, it's tough out here. Just so you guys Dude. know, it's tough out here for me too. There's so much information to keep track of. It's really hard to to weed out which Yo, things are running. Pay attention go, to. go take a look. Guy cost me basically 20 G's today. Thank you. <laughs> no. So this project went from 0.2 to 0.4 to 0.6 to 1 to 1.4 in four days from the, from the data I've been keeping on it, which which fits perfectly with this theory that I have uh, that. That uh, on-chain things are hitting right now, but be aware that every pattern eventually fails. So I don't know when the end of this pattern will hit. Maybe the next pattern will be, you know, layer two chain NFTs. We're not quite sure yet. Eventually, this layer pattern two tokens, will end. Right. What's that? Layer two tokens. Layer two tokens. Layer two NFTs. Yeah. What are um, layer two NFTs? So NFTs on the immutable chain on Arbitrum or on. So yeah. not on Ethereum. So this is a whole topic for another time, but Ethereum is layer one. Anything that's layer two is built on top of Ethereum. It is still Ethereum. It's just a quicker way to transact with smaller, smaller uh, gas fees. Low, lower lower gas fees, same security. Yes, same security. Gotcha. All right. Anything else other than not telling me about a project that could have made one ETH off of overnight? <laughs> no, I, I want to go back to researching now because there's so much happening. I feel like I get behind every time I spend an hour Guys, away from, from the news. Just so you know, research means going to a cenote with his shadowy girlfriend. <laughs> we'll be back next week, bitches.